0: Before delving into this episode, I would like to provide a trigger warning and disclaimer around today's topic being my IVF journey. If you are someone who feels triggered by the topics of fertility, trying to conceive, IVF treatment or anything surrounding these topics, I would strongly recommend that you stop listening now. In this episode, there is going to be numerous talking points surrounding my IVF journey that will require below disclaimer to be applied. Rather than providing multiple disclaimers throughout this episode, I would ask that you apply this disclaimer to the entirety of the podcast episode. An IVF journey is very personal. All of the information conveyed in this podcast episode is information in relation to my personal IVF journey pursuant to the recommendations of my medical team. At times where I may share that I personally made decisions surrounding my journey, I would ask that you remember I am not a medical professional and this advice should not be taken on by anyone else. Any course of treatment or medical advice that I speak about in this podcast episode was given to me based on my personal and medical requirements. And again, I would ask that this not be taken on by anyone else. This episode has been created to share my personal journey. I would ask that anyone going through IVF or considering going through IVF to seek their own professional advice, so that your course of treatment and actions surrounding that treatment can be personalised to you and your requirements. Welcome to the Move with Us podcast. Hey girls, welcome back to the podcast. It is just me in the room today and I'm gonna be talking all about my IVF journey. So this is something that I have touched on on my Instagram and on YouTube, but it's not something that I've properly delved into mainly because I felt like it's quite a difficult topic to talk about in detail on those platforms. There's just so many different aspects And I felt like sitting down in the podcast studio was the best way to talk to you all about my journey. So I thought what I will do is I'll break this, I guess, story up into two different episodes because there is a lot to talk about and I don't want one episode to be too overwhelmingly long. So the first episode... Um, My journey is going to be all about the egg retrieval process and I will go into more detail about what this kind of is in a little bit and then the second episode will be more about my egg or my embryo transfer and how that went and like how those several weeks before and after kind of felt and what I experienced. So let me go back to the beginning. Obviously this is my own personal story and I may often not use the exact correct medical terms, but I ask that you stick with me on this. I really just want to share my point of view. I've had an inundation of questions around this topic from when I originally announced that it is something I went through. And I'm going to try my best to give you all a bit of insight, but do forgive me if I don't make complete medical sense all the time. IVF. So IVF, basically stands for in vitro fertilization so it's basically where there's medical intervention for numerous different reasons around fertility and trying to conceive and trying to fall pregnant so when someone chooses or has to go through ivf there are multiple different reasons why that might happen and If you speak to 12 different people who have gone through IVF, there's a likeliness that probably 11 of those will be of different experiences and for different reasons. I think a lot of people put IVF in a bit of a tunnel. I guess the reasons are endless and that's why I think it is such a common yet taboo topic to talk about and I I use both of those words because I feel like it's like something like one in every three people now go through IVF for one reason or another, yet the topic still appears to be such a taboo topic. When I first announced, and this is what really kind of surprised me, is that so many girls reached out to me saying, the fact that you have shared your journey with me not only helps, but like I haven't. I personally had to go through this journey as well. And I haven't been able to tell my friends or I haven't even been able to tell my family because I'm embarrassed or because I struggle with the notion that this is something that I have to go through. I feel like it's making me less of a woman. And that really kind of broke my heart because I thought, well, you're not less of a woman. It doesn't make you any less of a person. At the end of the day, quite often we seek medical assistance um, when we need it and this is just another one of those situations for some people where you know medical assistance may be required and obviously it's a very personal decision whether you decide to go down that track but for me it was a personal decision that myself and my husband Adam made and to be honest like we've never looked back so my journey started in 2021 and it was a pretty full on journey, if I'm being completely honest. Like, the point of the journey where I felt or built up the courage to kind of talk to you girls about it was kind of just as I was starting my IVF cycles. So, my actual treatment cycles. But what they don't tell you is like before that, before you actually start your treatment, the appointments, the tests, the just the endless like, like doctors consulting and referrals and visits and scans and ultrasounds. Like it's actually such a circus of appointments and it can feel really overwhelming because you don't really, you think to yourself like, how long is this exactly going to take? And often you'll have to book an appointment and you won't be able to get into someone for like two months and when you're at a point where you really want to start trying to have a baby through IVF and you're being told that well actually before you can start that process you know you actually have to go through x y and z it can feel pretty overwhelming and i look back on it now and there were so many points in time where i thought to myself i just like don't know if i can keep doing this i don't know if i can keep going to these appointments and talking medical terms, you know, at the start, you don't fully understand what you're going through. You're kind of just sitting there being told all of these things. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty overwhelming. And I think one of the main reasons that made me kind of want to talk about this is that I didn't really personally at the time know anyone who had gone through it. So what I struggled with was I felt like it wasn't something that I could talk to people about because I didn't know anyone I could talk to who had gone through that experience. Now, lo and behold, I've actually had people, friends, like people who I would never have even known who went through IVF come out to me and say, listen, this is actually something I've had to go through myself. And that goes back to the whole, like it's still a topic that not everyone's comfortable talking about, which is more than okay. But something I really wanted to change the notion of was that like, this is an okay thing to share if you're comfortable, but to, you know, it's it's not something to be ashamed of, I guess. And then you kind of get to this point where basically you're seeing your IVF specialist doctor. So generally they're normally like, an OB as well. So they're like an obstetrician and then they've kind of extended their experience into the IVF world and fertility. But this is the person you're going to be spending a lot of time with and you're going to be sharing a lot of yourself with. So I would highly recommend that you choose someone who you feel comfortable with little side story is I actually went to a doctor an IVF specialist before the one I chose and probably if I'd gone with the initial one it would have happened a little bit quicker because I wouldn't have had to have gone and gotten a second referral and a second opinion but when we got there I didn't feel comfortable with this person and I was like I said to Adam as we left I was like I don't know about you I just didn't feel comfortable I didn't get like a warming vibe and whilst I know that they're there to be like a medical professional I still want to feel like there's someone that I can kind of get warmth from and just feel comfortable with because this is quite an emotional arguably like it's a bit invasive it's like, you know it's a full-on process and you and you want to feel comfortable with the person who's guiding you through that. Then we had to re-go through the whole entire process to find someone else and I'm so glad I did because I feel so much more comfortable with the doctor that I'm with at the moment and they are actually also my OB. So what was brilliant is they kind of do both sides of work and so they've watched me go through my whole IVF experience and now they're watching me go through my whole pregnancy which I think is really nice because they know – I guess your history, and they're kind of in a little way. I like to believe that they're invested in your journey as well. So, yeah, I we've decided on a doctor and we kind of had conversations with them, and that's when like the real stuff starts. So, you think going through all the preliminary stuff is hard because it's a lot of like news to digest, and then you start like the heavy stuff, I like to call it the actual treatments. Now I from what I can gather from what I've spoken to about to other people about I did this whole process not obscenely different but yeah a little bit different to just the people I've spoken to. So I actually went through my egg retrieval process and then did two of those and then had a break and then did my transfer so my attempt to actually fall pregnant versus my attempts to retrieve my eggs and turn them into embryos were two very separate processes generally you kind of do it all at once you kind of do the egg retrieval and then you kind of go through and do the transfer like all straight away there's a couple of reasons why we did that and I'll get into that. And that was was based off my doctor's medical advice. But basically, the one of the biggest questions I get asked is like, okay, like what does a cycle entail? For me, and I, I know that kind of medications and stuff can vary with um different people depending on like your health and your health history and, and what you're doing IVF for. Um, But for me personally, I basically did a 14-day IVF cycle and it starts with one injection and that injection is basically used to help grow as many little follicles within your ovaries that then have an egg hopefully, in each of them. And you essentially spend 14 days growing them as big as they can get so that they get nice and mature, they like to call it, so that on egg retrieval day, you're most likely going to have an egg in each of those follicles. Ideally, say you have 12 healthy, mature-looking follicles, Um, you know, hopefully you can get like 10 eggs out of that. It, It varies they can never tell you exactly, but the the idea, aim of the game is to get as many follicles growing as possible. So that for me required one injection every day, every morning at the exact same time. And then what they like to do or what they need to do is about halfway through that process. So around day seven, um, and they monitor this through a lot of blood work. So you're essentially going to the clinic to get your blood work done like every second, maximum every third day because they like to track like how your um, estrogen's traveling, you know, how your ovulation hormone is traveling. Like they need to keep everything on track. It's a pretty serious kind of, serious business that nothing can be too wayward or the likeliness of it all working kind of drops lower and lower. So at about halfway through, they then introduce a second injection. So this injection basically still allows for the first injection to work. So it still allows for those follicles to be growing and for those, hopefully, those eggs to be growing as well. But the second injection stops you from ovulating. So naturally, within our bodies, when we have those eggs that are growing and they're getting nice and mature, our bodies want to ovulate because they want to release the eggs um, to, you know, hopefully go through that whole ovulation process where, you know, there's a potential pregnancy. But what the medical team wants to do is keep those eggs growing for the perfect amount of time so that they can get hopefully as many follicles as possible and as many eggs So, you know, instead of one or two eggs being ready and then you ovulating, it kind of pushes it out and you have more eggs. That's how it was explained to me, basically. So your second injection, again, has to be taken at the same time every day with your first. And you basically have one that's helping those follicles grow. And then you have another that's stopping the ovulation process, which is super important. Basically, if you miss that and you start ovulating, it's your your whole cycle is ruined. And I have heard horror stories where I was like speaking to one of my nurses because I was like, oh, does anyone forget? And she's like, honestly, yes. And it's a whole cycle that they have to cancel. So, you know, it's it's not a lot to remember, but it's definitely a lot to take seriously. Then you get to this point where, it's like they're looking for the perfect storm. So they're blood testing you and they're looking to see where your estrogen levels are at. They're looking to see where your ovulation hormones are at. And they're like, okay, her follicles are looking good. Her estrogen's looking good. And her ovulation is like about to peak without, you know, we're stopping it, but it's like it's about to peak. So this perfect storm is created and On like day, it's normally, again, it changes depending on your blood work. But for me, it was like day um, 11 or 12. They're like, okay, we need you to now stop those two injections. This is the last day you take them. And then we want you to take what they call a trigger shot. So this is like my third, I guess, form of medication. It's another injection. It's a one-off. And it basically overrides everything you've just been doing and it tells your body to ovulate. So you've gone from growing your ov- you've gone from growing your follicles to telling your body not to ovulate just yet. And then you stop that medication and you you basically tell your body to ovulate. And what they do is they plan it all out so they'll tell you exactly what time to take it. And then you take the trigger shot and it's normally not the day after but the day after that. That you go in for your egg retrieval, so everything's timed out pretty, um, you know, down to the final hour. So with egg retrieval, it's a pretty nerve-wracking process because you have been through two weeks of what is quite emotionally taxing, but also can be pretty physically taxing as well. So you've got to remember, you're putting your ovaries under a lot of pressure with all of that follicle growth, and The catch twenty two is depending on how many follicles you get. Obviously, the more follicles, the bigger your ovaries get, which means the more pain you're going to experience. I kind of like to describe it as like period pain, but like ten times worse, because it's just that. Like I said, like the best way to describe it is there's so much pressure on those ovaries, and you know you're physically definitely not jumping up and down with joy. So. Egg retrieval day gets pretty nerve wracking because you're like okay I've put so much energy and effort into the last two weeks and you don't really know what you're in for and what I mean by that is like you get multiple scans throughout your IVF cycle but they're only able to scan your follicles and they can't guarantee that every follicle is going to have an egg and You're kind of like, okay, well, how many follicles do I have? And they might say 10. And then they'll say, but if we're looking at the size of the follicle and the maturity, I would say like seven look perfect. Three are a little bit on the small side. But we can't continue to grow the little three because it's going to continue to grow the seven and then they're going to over mature. So you're kind of like, okay, so potentially seven follicles that look good. And like, but out of those, you know, we can't guarantee that every follicle is going to carry an egg. So you're kind of like trying to do this math like in your head where you're like, okay, the likeliness of this and the likeliness of that. And, you know, admittedly, I've definitely Googled endlessly um, the percentages of like what you think, you know, if you have 10 follicles, what's the percentage of how many eggs you're going to get? And out of those eggs, how many are going to mature? Like it's, You do start to overthink the entire thing. And I think that's like, can I just say like completely normal? I can't even sit here and be like, just be calm because it's just not really something that you can do at that time. Of course, you're overthinking. But basically, we got to a situation where we had follicles and they like look good in size. um, And we went in for egg, egg retrieval. So you're probably thinking like, okay, like that's it, done and dusted. But (laughs) I feel like you've been through so much at this point, but it's still only the beginning. So your egg retrieval is literally like you've done all it's like you've done all this prep work, but like you're there now and it's race day. And like your egg retrieval is the start of this race and it's a long distance race that you have to like try and win. But it's no longer up to you. It's like, it's like you've trained someone else and you're just hoping that they do well because you go in. And for me, I always had my egg retrievals in the morning and you have to fast and you have to just be like really calm and, you know, just head straight into the hospital. I think my first one was at like six and my seven, second one was at like eight. So, you know, it's pretty early um and you go in and you check into hospital it is a day procedure so they do put you under general anaesthetic um which i know i've heard for some people they don't personally i am really happy that they did because i don't think it's something that i would want to have been awake for so yeah you go in and you're probably under for maybe an hour maybe 30 minutes it does take you a while to come out it's a really quick procedure if i was going in at 7 I was done by 7.30 and you obviously go like you're put to sleep and you're so nervous because you know like okay I'm gonna wake up and then that's gonna be it like whatever's happened happened and I'm gonna be told and I'm scared of the result. So the first time I woke up and I was like I'm looking around and there's other women in there as well and they're finishing their procedures and everyone's kind of busy and bustling around. And the first thought that came to mind, was like, okay, like how many eggs? Like, and I was trying to like usher for someone, like someone tell me what's going on, I need to know. And then I looked down at my hand and the protocol, which I, I didn't know, was they actually write the number of eggs that they get from your procedure on your hand, like i I'm trying to think I think I had six eggs from memory for my first cycle. The nurse had like written a little six on my hand with like a little smiley face and a little love heart. and I just remember feeling like so incredibly overjoyed. So we were pretty nervous in like how many we were gonna get. but, Yeah, it was all pretty overwhelmingly good, I guess. And I remember when I saw Adam because he was there to pick me up, like you're very emotional. I started crying because I was just so happy. That was like our first egg retrieval. But then post retrieval, you have to go through basically the egg growing slash embryo phase. So you basically get to a point where you have your eggs, they're immediately inseminated. So obviously using Adam's sperm and you then start this like day one, day two, day three, day four, day five process where they watch the eggs grow and mature. And it's like this, like it's like just a massive drop off process. It's it's probably, for lack of a better word, it can be pretty taxing and pretty depressing because the number never goes up. With every day, you basically, there's like a percentage range and it's like if you have 100% of eggs on day one, the likeliness is that 70% will last until day three and then from that 70%, it's like 30% or something will last until day five. So, you're kind of pretty nervous because you're like, okay, I've got six eggs, how many fertilized? how many lasted till day three and how many lasted till day five and became embryos. They call you every odd day. So one, three, and five. And they basically give you an update, which like talk about time going slow. I don't think time's ever gone as slow as it has for those like five days. Like even waiting for my transfer results went quicker than these days like these days were absolute torture you're also coming off a lot of hormones so you know you're not exactly feeling fabulous it's a hard emotion to explain because you just it's everything is so out of your control but at the same time you're trying to remain in control of your feelings but your feelings are being determined by things that are so out of your control. So it's a bit of a, it's a very emotional, mental battle. And the hormones, like I know I keep going back to that, but like the hormones really don't help. Yes, you've stopped taking them by this point, but you're also still coming off them. It's almost like they're still in your body. They're still, your body's still going through that cycle of, you know, that, that, period cycle. Like it hasn't, you haven't gotten another period yet. Like it's just a pretty full on time. So day five, we got a call and we were like, with what the odds were, we were being told to expect for one embryo to make it through. Like they were like, listen, if you can get one embryo out of this, like you're in a very good position. And we were like, wow, like that's, you know, a pretty full-on thing because obviously you're grateful but it's just scary how much things can change and how low things can drop so we got to that point and um they rang us and we were just we're really we were just preparing for the worst and they rang and they said oh actually um you know you've had a really good result long story short obviously we were ecstatic like happy tears couldn't have been Happier, couldn't have been prouder of the little embryos, couldn't have been more ecstatic with where we were at. And we kind of, the first thing you do, like once all of this is happening, is you go and see your doctor. At this point, we weren't really sure as to what would happen next. We hadn't really talked about it because they don't really talk to you about the next step because they're like, we don't know if you're going to get there. You're kind of like in this position where you don't know what's next because everyone's like, well, there's just no point getting ahead of ourselves. And the likeliness of things not going your way is pretty high in IVF. Like it can be a pretty scary statistic. So we didn't really know what we were going to do next. And we went and basically sat us down and I was like, oh, so like, what do we do next? Like, do we try to have a baby or, and it probably sounded like a really silly question. And our doctor was like, listen, if I can be completely honest, if I was you and if I was in the position that you were in, I would hold off on trying to transfer an embryo. And obviously like when you first hear that, you're like a little bit taken aback. You're like, well, isn't that what you're supposed to be doing now? Like, isn't that part of this process? And to put it simply, if you transfer an embryo now, best case scenario, you have a successful transfer. Amazing. Couldn't think of anything better. Then you're pregnant for nine months And then you basically have this newborn, you know, you go through that whole postpartum process, you go through having a toddler and it's like two years down the track where you're looking to try to fall pregnant again. But saying this to us from a realistic perspective, and I I do respect the doctor told us because to be honest, if I had to do it all over again, I would do exactly this you know, worst case scenario is we attempt to do a transfer and it doesn't work and we attempt to do a transfer and it does work and then you go through that whole pregnancy, newborn, postpartum life and then we have either nothing left by the time we reach your next pregnancy attempt and you have to go through all of this again except you're two years older. Obviously, we all have a body clock and the older we get, the more difficult it gets to fall pregnant everyone i speak to in the medical industry in for me everyone was very really emphasized the fact like the fact that you're young in terms of i guess a pregnancy timeline is a highly beneficial thing and it's not that you can't fall pregnant if you're older it's just that it does become more difficult my doctor basically said you know if it were me and i was in your position i would be trying for a egg retrieval before I tried to conceive. The reason being is that it basically gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to get some more healthy embryos, especially while you're young and you're in like your best case scenario. And once that happens, you can freeze these embryos and basically they're there ready for you when you do wanna try to conceive down the track. My doctor basically said, I know it feels like a lot of preparation now and that there's a part of you that probably doesn't want to go through all of that again so soon, but you're going, your like later self will thank you. And it was a pretty heavy conversation in that probably I just wasn't expecting the conversation to go that way, but I couldn't really fault the advice. Like the more I thought about it, the more I processed it and the more i kind of weighed up my options i couldn't really sit there and be like well i don't know if i want to do that because i see that i see fault in abc of what you said so adam and i went home and we obviously had a bit of a, a discussion and we kind of obviously i was a bit like you've just been through this massive process so you're a bit scarred. you're a bit like well i don't want to go through that process again i don't i don't want to be in that position where i have to deal with all of that stuff again but the logical part of my brain was like this is probably your best option you know i know in a really simply put way get the hard stuff done first like get the egg retrievals out of the way get the injections and the hormones out of the way have the embryos like have that peace of mind that you have a few options and a few chances for the future so Instead of doing a transfer, which we were comfortable with anyway, like we weren't, I'd said to Adam previous to all of this, I was like, I just want my body in more of a natural state when I try to fall pregnant and I just don't feel like after taking multiple amounts of hormones that I just, then my body's not used to. I just don't feel like that's the optimal time to try. And the way egg retrievals work is you have to give yourself like a whole cycle break so August was just a complete break, which was kind of nice because August was um, small and insignificant, but August is my birthday month. So I wanted to be able to just like enjoy myself and, and take time off and have fun without, you know, any of that stuff going on. And then September, we did our egg retrieval. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of interesting because naturally I'm quite a positive, happy, um, motivated person so every time I go into these cycles I go in and I'm like yes I'm gonna I'm gonna smash this it's not gonna get me down I'm positive I'm happy I'm doing it and like no whatever lie you get to about halfway through and then you just like it all hits you it's like this build up And it takes a little while, but then it just like all hits you at once and you're tired and you're emotional and you're just, you're irrational. Like the things that you're emotional over make no sense. And I do remember like my second round, I was just like, I was just ridiculously tired. I would not be able to get up some days and then I would sleep all afternoon and I just couldn't bring myself to, to do normal things. Like everything just felt so hard That was probably like the second round definitely was probably a little bit more taxing. Probably also even just the injection sites, there was that like fresh scar tissue for where I had initially injected. So you kind of, it kind of hurt without even realizing, like I would get close to injecting in the same spot and you would think like, oh, it's been two months, but I definitely felt more pain. The, first, the second time, I was pretty lucky in that I didn't get really heavy bruising. I kind of really manipulated where I injected, like I was pretty strategic so that I wasn't injecting in the same spot and I kind of knew where I had injected previously. But I can definitely vouch for the fact that this second round was more definitely more taxing. However, the second round also brought us more embryos more very healthy day 5 embryos and it was more than what we got originally in our first um in our first cycle so it kind of was a blessing and to this day for anyone that does ask me i always say like depending on your situation because it is very different for everyone if you can kind of do it where you have that little bank as as crazy as that sounds and you get to have that peace of mind um, especially if you're someone that hopes for more than one child and look I know I, I get it like some for some p- people for me it was I just want one I just want one embryo I just want one baby but if you had the opportunity and if I had the opportunity I, I did try for more because I would love to be able to have you know a, a big family one day. So, um, whilst it was kind of a weird way to do it, maybe for lack of a better word, I'm really glad we did it that way. Now, come September, I was pretty down and out and I was just like, you know what? This is me done for the year. I said to Adam, I said, I'm just, I can't bring myself to do anything else IVF related. I said, I don't want to do a transfer, I just want to detox myself with these hormones. I want to go back to normal life. I want to mentally and emotionally feel good again. And right now I don't feel those things. And I said, I just don't, you know, the, belief in like higher power and all of that, that, that part of me was like, you're not there in the mind and you're not feeling the way you normally feel. I said, I want to feel on top of the world before I try to bring a baby into this world, because my body is literally what's going to carry this baby. Like I want to feel like I can do that. And I want to feel like my strong and usual self. So That was basically my egg retrieval process done. And we did, we took several months break before we even attempted a transfer. So I think where some people get really confused with me is they're like, oh, so you never did a transfer during this process. And the answer is no. So literally to that day, come September, end of egg retrieval process round two, I still hadn't done a transfer and I didn't for the rest of the year. So, while I'm on the topic of egg retrievals, I'm just going to go through a few of your questions because that is essentially my story up to that point. But I do understand, I did put up a bit of a question box, and a few of you have asked about the egg retrieval process. So, one of the first questions I have is How do you not lose hope? Um, my sister just failed her first IVF treatment. I think. IVF is like, IVF should have the word hope in it. It should be like an essential part of the title because I feel like no matter why you're going through IVF, no matter how many times you've gone through IVF, no matter what process you've had to go through and what outcome you've had, hope is such a huge part of, I guess, like what you hold on to. Because being through this and and being in those conversations and being on those calls where things don't always go your way, and let me tell you, there were a lot of them, it's really hard if you don't have hope and belief that it's eventually going to happen. Coming from someone who actually personally had to go through it, what I guess was a huge what played a huge huge role in my journey was not just me having that hope but the people around me now obviously going through this I wasn't sharing it with everyone at the time it was towards the end of my second cycle that I kind of came out with all of this I'm talking about like those people really close to you so Adam my family people who you do rely on to kind of lift you up when you're having your down moments. So to answer your question, like, girl, your sister needs you now more than ever. And she needs you to be that like positive beacon of light that maybe right now she can't be. But what she needs to be able to see from you is like to get that like hope and positivity and reassurement, like it's like any kind of negative news in your life. When you break up with someone, when you get, when you lose a job or when you lose, you want that positive reinforcement that everything's going to be okay. Like that's what you need. As hard as it is, like sometimes I find if I'm talking to someone and they're going through a negative situation, it's easy to fall into that negativity as well and be like, oh yeah, like that really sucks. And you know, what's what? what possibly can you do next? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't be sympathetic, but I'm saying like, give her the positivity that she might not be able to bring herself. And I think it's really, really important that you tell her not to give up. And so when comforting her, because that's the next part of your question, like how can I comfort her? You need to be that person, like tell her, like don't give up. The stories of IVF are brutal. Like the amount of things that you have to go through before you get a positive, like it's like 50 negatives, and then you get like one little beacon of positivity. And she will get there. Like, this is going to happen. The hardest part is what she's going through. And let me tell you, like, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. It's just about getting to that point, and you cannot stop fighting. And to fight, you need to have hope. Okay. So next question, guys, I apologize if I'm breathing really heavily. (laughs) This is just a thing now. I breathe like I'm running a marathon all the time. So I do apologize. I would love to hear how you found the journey mentally and physically. Honestly, like I feel like it's a real roller coaster. It's like a literal yo-yo. Like I'm I'm not going to sit here and say every day was fine but I definitely can't sit here and say every day was really, really bad. Some days I would be so down and out. Like I think back to them and they're just like parts of my life that I've literally blocked out and put in a memory box that like you can't access. And then other days I felt so empowered. I was like, this opportunity, like I can't believe I can get to do this. You know, at least I'm trying and at least I'm in a position where I'm giving this a go and I know we're gonna get an embryo out of this and I know we're gonna get a little baby. So it was very up and down. I think the best, I think what made my life a lot easier was having the support of Adam. You know, they see the vulnerable side of you they see the insecure side of you they see the you're just you do become very open and vulnerable to that person and they see every single side of you as you go through something that does leave you quite you know changed like it changes you as a person but having them there and having them support you through your really hard moments your anxiety moments your breakdown moments but also your positive moments that has made that really did make the world of difference for me and I think you don't have to do this on your own and that's I guess why I started wanting to talk about this is that this is really hard and when you're trying to like bottle up your emotion and bottle up your vulnerability and bottle up every single part about this and put on a strong face like that's that's not okay like you need to be able to let these emotions out because if you don't they just suffocate you you need to be able to talk about things you need to be able to have an open conversation with the people around you who you love and who love you so that you can talk about what you're going through because it can be quite traumatic and it can be quite overwhelming and I actually saw another question where someone basically asked Did it affect your relationship because it was such a big part of it, essentially saying like me and my partner struggle because we're going through it and it's kind of consuming us. Now, guys, I'm going to be completely honest. When you're going through IVF, it's pretty consuming. It's a pretty big factor of your life, whether it's the cycle or the pre-appointments, you're absorbing all of this information. You're having all of these changes happen to your body you're relying on things outside of your control for a result that you want so badly, like it's going to be pretty consuming. What I think needs to happen is you need to create a safe space, whether that's with your partner, hopefully that's with your partner, your loved ones, your family, your sister, your mum, someone you need to have a safe space with where you can talk about these things, obsess over these things, go back and forth over scenarios and feel comfortable and okay to do that because at the end of the day like this isn't something that's nothing it's not a light-hearted thing it's it's really heavy and if you don't allow yourself to process what's going on and if you don't allow yourself to talk about it at least to those close to you it's going to consume you but it's going to overwhelm like it's going to get to a point where you can't handle it anymore so I can't recommend enough like talk to people about it and create safe spaces like don't make this a topic where you feel like you're talking about it too much this is a massive part of your life at the moment and you deserve to have the opportunity to talk about the things going on with you during that time like I can't stress that enough this is a fun one so do you get to choose which fertilized egg you want like a boy or a girl you do not In Australia, it is illegal to basically choose the sex of your embryo. I do know in some countries that you can, but we were not. And (laughs) I'm terrible. I tried to ask her. It's not that I care whether we had a boy or a girl. I just want to know. And I was like, oh, so do you know how it's a boy? She's like, no, I don't. And this is a nurse doing the transfer. And I was like, okay, don't worry about it. I won't ask. (laughs) So no, you don't get to know, actually. It's a big surprise. The last thing I want to talk to you about with my egg retrieval stuff before I jump into the next episode is training. Um, There's a lot of questions on training and diet throughout the egg retrieval process. So diet was a pretty simple one for me. Obviously, I wasn't consuming alcohol. I don't smoke like I'm not a smoker, but I definitely wouldn't have smoked during that time. And I was really just consuming the foods I would usually consume. I'm very proud of myself with how far I've come with my way of eating. And I like, I do, I proudly acknowledge the fact that I eat a very wholesome diet. I don't cut out food groups. Um, I haven't been in a deficit for like, since 2019 I think that was my last comp so I didn't have to change a lot I guess I made sure I was having like oily fish at least twice a week because they say that that's really good like your amigas um, to support your hormones but I was just eating you know a wholesome diet I was making sure I was eating enough so like being accountable you know not even accidentally being in a deficit girls. Like if you think about where you want your body to be, you want your body to be in a place where it feels safe and like it can produce and reproduce and it's not in a position where it's at all threatened. Um, Deficits can cause that kind of you know, halt on your body's reproduction system. So obviously the last thing you want to do is to put yourself into any sort of deficit when you're going through something like this. Um, At least for me, that was my approach. I need to reiterate. So for me, I made sure that I was definitely sitting way above maintenance and just eating a whole well-balanced diet. With my training, so this is really interesting. Obviously I am a personal trainer and I have been for like, going on six years now. So my approach to training had that background. I felt very comfortable in choosing how to train and what to train and my intensity of training. I completely understand that not all of you have that background. So I highly recommend obviously listening to your doctors. I wasn't told not to train. I was just told not to do anything that made you feel you know, incredibly uncomfortable and obviously you kind of want to avoid intense jumping movements, sprinting, because as simplistic as it sounds, your ovaries are quite big and you can risk twisting them, which sounds pretty hectic, but if you're jumping around and stuff like they can risk twisting and that's like a really dangerous thing that you don't want to have happen. So, they kind of just made sure I eliminated that stuff, which I don't do a lot of anyway. So, no jumping. I didn't do any kind of sprinting, any kind of HIIT workouts. I basically just stuck to my normal weight training and walks. Um, I actually got a question saying, why didn't you do hip thrusts during your egg retrieval? There's no hard and fast rule on this, but purely bar placement, vault extremely uncomfortable. That's kind of like essentially your injection site. Your stomach becomes extremely swollen. That's where your ovaries sit. That's your uterus. Um, Placing any kind of pressure or weight on that area just felt hugely wrong Um, and was just a massive no for me. Like from the day I started injections, I just avoided that. Same with glute bridges, same with anything that had basically weight bearing on that area. Um, but yeah, I, outside of that, I kind of just listened to my body. Obviously at the start, I felt way better than what I did at the end. So at the end, I kind of backed off my training. I just did really light walks, like things that kind of made me feel good. You're not going to want to do anything that you're not, you know, trying to torture yourself through this process, girls. Do things that make you feel good, feel good for your soul, good for your mental health. Um, and for me, that's like walks and stuff like that. I really enjoyed So, I didn't expect for that episode to take that long, but that is basically like part one of my experience. So, I'm going to go into part two in a minute, and the next episode's basically going to be all about my transfer day. And I'll answer some more questions in relation to that. I hope I've covered everything as best as I can. As you can see, there's a lot of information to absorb, um, and I feel like a lot to talk about. But hopefully I've given you a bit of an insight into what an egg retrieval process is like, at least from my, you know, personal journey. I'll see you all in the next episode.